We are starting a new series today that will be in for the summer months, and it's called Leveraging Life. And so today is not a Father's Day sermon per se, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, uh, but there is plenty of relevance here for dads. Um, Just by way of introduction and thinking of the subject that, that most fathers know about leverage. Most dads have lots of levers in their garages or levers if you're British or want to sound British just because it makes you sound smarter. Um, but you have boxes full of levers that have probably been passed down from your dad and your dad's dad. And what are they? They're tools. That's what, that's what most tools do. They're designed to give us leverage. We have wrenches. We have hammers that can pry nails out and crowbars and shovels and even wheelbarrows are a form of a, it's a form of a lever levered tools give us mechanical advantage is the term from physics they reduce the amount of effort needed that to, to move a load and we as dads are all about reducing effort aren't we <laughs> we do all we can to make things easier for ourselves um, but you imagine you try, you have a flat tire, you try loosening a lug nut on your car with your bare hand. Just, I'd like to see you try it. If you, if you can loosen it with your bare hand, you've got a bigger issue than a flat tire. Um, no, what do you do? You need a tire iron. You need a long tire iron. And then you get that, you get that distance from that, that pivot point and you have leverage and you can, you can work it loose. See, levers allow us to get more done with less exertion. Well, this isn't a sermon on physics, and aren't you glad? And I am not, I would not be qualified for that sermon. Just ask my wife. That was not my area of learning expertise, math and science. But leverage, I I put a definition of leverage on the screen, and there are multiple definitions that you can find, but these are most pertinent to our series that we're beginning today. It's one, one definition is to use something to maximum advantage. And I'll come back to that. Second, the ability to make an impact in a way that multiplies the outcome of one's efforts without a corresponding increase in the consumption of resources. Now, that's a mouthful, I know. But just think on that for just a second. And and, and using those definitions, think of all the things we leverage. We leverage our strength, like with tools. We leverage our time. We leverage our resources. We leverage technology. We leverage... Knowledge, we leverage energy, all of these things are leveraged. But we're talking about leveraging life. And this is what I mean by leveraging life. Leveraging life is using your life to maximum advantage for the gospel. Or to to use that second definition, it's to live so as to advance God's cause, God's mission, in such a way that, that it multiplies the outcome of our efforts Without a corresponding increase to the consumption of our resources. Okay, what in the world are you talking about? What I'm not saying is I'm offering, I'm not offering to you a lazy man's guide to the Great Commission. Like, yeah, hey, hey, this is great. I can just be, sit on my recliner and no exertion, no effort and, and obey the Lord. I'm not saying that if you throw yourselves into the work of making disciples, that it's not going to require sacrifices. It's not going to require energy, time, resources. You're not going to have to, it's not going to cost you convenience or comforts. What I am saying 
is that we need to leverage our lives in a way that the impact is greater than the exertion. Or let me say it another way. That the goal of this series is not to dump upon you a whole list of duties and obligations and new activities and programs and commitments upon you. That's not what I'm, that's not where we're going, so don't freak out and just miss the rest of the summer. I'm not trying to squeeze a bunch of other stuff on your already full plate. No, no, that's, that's not it at all. I'm, I, I want, I'm talking about learning to, with the pattern and flow of your life, to maximize that for gospel impact and, so it's not a bunch of new things to do. It's a new way of thinking about and doing the things that you're already doing. I, I, let me just give you a quote, and it'll be on the screen. This is from a, a book I recently read and, and benefited from greatly just in preparation for this series. It's called Life on Mission. Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe are the authors. But he's, they say this, we cannot, look, we cannot just look at mission as something to add to our schedules but something to intersect with our current daily rhythms. Life on mission is about intersecting gospel intentionality into our everyday routines. The objective then is not to get you involved in some new mission program or create another church event, but rather to walk alongside you in creating gospel intentionality within your already present everyday rhythms. We'll talk more about this in a few weeks. There'll be a message called Maximizing the Mundane. But what what this means and what it's going to mean, and we'll, as we unpack this and see what Scripture has to say about this, it's it's leveraging the normal stuff of life, like grocery shopping, for the glory of God and the furtherance of God's mission. How can you do that? It's We'll, we'll talk about that. It's about leveraging your home to have a greater impact in your neighborhood for the sake of the gospel. It's not, it's not about moving somewhere exotic. It's about where you live, what can you do, how can you leverage your time, your resources for his cause. It's about leveraging your son's baseball practice for for, by choosing not to sit in your car and just read the Facebook feed by yourself, but instead getting out, talking with parents, asking questions, listening to them, loving them. See, see, it's not something new. It's just you're already there. Just leverage that time for the sake of the Lord's mission. It's, it's about leveraging your meal times to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize this may sound crazy to some of you, some of you, this is normal life, and I thank God for that. We have great examples of this in this congregation, and I'm not going to point them out right now, but I think you, you've seen, you see this happening, but some of you, this sounds radical. Like, this is the stuff for those professional missionaries. This is, but this is not a sermon series designed to recruit you to some elite missionary force. No, that's not it at all. The hope is to begin to, to help all of us let the Great Commission shape our everyday lives for all of us. It's not about becoming elite missionaries. It's becoming about it's about becoming everyday missionaries. All of us. And that's this gospel intentionality that those authors talked intersecting with daily life, ordinary, normal life. It's just for the busy mom of three kids who are under the age of five. And you're just, you're just doing all you can to get the kids fed and diapers changed and just survive through the day. This is for you. 
This is about the dad who's tired and long commute and working two jobs to pay off debt. And this is for you. Again, it's not to burden you. It's to free you up to see I can be involved right now where I am. God has sent me here with the time that I have, with the resources I have, with where God has placed me. The Lord can use me right here. And that's that's the hope of this. Um, again, some of you do this well already. And but but this is what we want to see. I know it's easy for us to think, OK, we have our we, check church. We've done this. We got this. We got great commission down because we've sent missionaries to do it overseas. And we have a few folks that do it really well right here. So we're kind of we, we're, we're OK. We'll just continue supporting, praying, encouraging those. But this is my prayer that you will see it less and less as a task for a select few and something that becomes the new normal for all of us. That's the hope for here. Now, a couple quick clarifications before we move on. And this morning, I'm just introducing the series and going to and, and just spur us on, hopefully, for, for for pressing on in this. But a couple clarifications. Uh, one one is just a matter of definitions. Is it mission or is it missions? Because I'm going to use the word mission a lot through this series and even this morning. And I'm using mission as something we're all to be engaged in. This is as in the Great Commission, making disciples. Making disciples of all nations. Now, we tend to get distracted by the all nations part because we think mission. We think missions, international missions. That's what those people do. And uh, we send them to do that. And um, but, but this is an appeal to think differently about ourselves. The fact that the Lord has sent us right here. We are the nations in the Great Commission. You realize we don't live in Jerusalem? We do know that, right? And so we're the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and we have been sent, brought by the Lord through all kinds of circumstances. And God has put, placed us here. We were to live sent lives on mission right where we are. And so mission or mission. Second clarification is mission or evangelism. I say evangelism is a, is a huge part of this mission. But mission is the broader category. And so when I, when I say the word mission, it's, it's disciple making. It's, it's introducing people to Jesus, evangelism. It's helping them and actively being a part of their journey to become more like Christ. And then finally, it's teaching them to repeat that process with others. And it's gotta go there. We're not making disciples if the disciples we make aren't making disciples. And so, so that's the, it's that whole process that we're talking about. Alright, that's the series. Ah, that, and so what about this message? What are we doing this morning? What's going to compel, compel us to live lives that are leveraged for God's mission? Why not just keep living the way we're already living? I mean, it's not that bad. I just kind of, what, what's, what, why would I consider this? Why would I even think about doing anything different? Why would I try to intersect gospel intentionality into what I'm already doing? Well, is guilt going to be the best motivator for us? I don't think so. That's not my goal this morning or through this series. Are statistics going to really get us launching forward in this? No. If we just read the headlines and if we can just create kind of some shock value and say, oh, man, things are just going, we got to do something. Is that enough? No. Can, can I just give this great pep talk? You know me long enough now. I'm not that good of a preacher. <laughs> I am not the motivational speaker. That is not going to work. 
If we're really going to become more engaged in what God is doing in this world, we're going to need more of God in His fullness. We're going to have to really sink our teeth into the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians there in Ephesians 1. To have a bigger vision of what God is doing in this world. A bigger vision of God, His glory, His worth, His fullness. That's, that's what we need. We need to, we need to live, in, like that Latin phrase, coram Deo. Before the face of God, beholding His glory, being changed by it with a greater awareness of His magnitude, His worth. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We need to, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what we need. What does He say in the very next verse? Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore... And then he goes on to speak of the ministry of reconciliation that we have from God. That's where it starts. It's become, it starts with us just being enamored with the glory and the greatness and the beauty and the worth of God that we've been singing about this morning. And it's from there that we go propelled out to say, oh God, then let me be a minister of reconciliation for you to those around me. And so it's got to start there. We've got to we've got to have our our minds full of and our mouths singing of the ten thousand reasons that we have to bless the Lord, and, I, and maybe just this morning, I I just if a few of you if just would stand just real quick and just tell me a reason that God is so great, shout it out. Somebody, you're gonna to have to speak loud. We're not gonna go around the microphone. Why is God so great? Amen, brother. Yeah, somebody else. That's right, Ray. Yes, sir. He created everything. That's right. It's, it's incredible. He loves us. What was the love? His faithfulness. Amen. He is returning, and he's going to return in power and glory. Salvation. He's delivered us. He's forgiving. What's that? Yes. I would just go on and on. Again, we could spend the rest of the morning just extolling the Lord and thanking Him for His greatness. And that's what we see. So the big idea this morning, and I'll show you where we're going to see this, but it's we need to be so enamored with God's glory and full of God's Spirit that we're compelled then to leverage our lives for God's mission. That's where we're going today. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13. John 13 to 17 is that upper room discourse. The ladies uh, studied this a couple of years ago, and so they're experts on this, those that were a part of that. But this is, this is such a rich portion of Scripture. And, wh- and what's going on in John 13 to 17 is that Jesus is preparing his disciples, those 12, for his departure, for life without him physically. And that's what he's doing here. He's about to die And depart from them. And just a day now he's going to be crucified. The next day. And they needed to be ready. But he's not just getting them ready. So they can kind of hold the fort down. Not mess things up too bad. Until he comes back. That's not it. No he's he's going to give them a mission. He's going to give them a task to fulfill. And and us. 
And so he's preparing them for his departure because he knows that they have this mission to accomplish. And so in the key promise, the key revelation that Jesus gives them is this. And this is, I think, the key to this whole text is that he will be with them by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus will be physically away from them, they will have him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples who follow after the apostles, like us, we're not worse off than the apostles were when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry. In fact, we're in some ways better off. It's to our advantage that, that we that we have him all the time. We're not, we're not ever physically separated like the we're not like the like the apostles. They could be in a different town from Jesus, but we have Christ with us through the Holy Spirit at all times. That's what Jesus is laboring to show them. And so there's no way that we're going to be able to do an exposition of John 13 to 17. If you think I'm going to launch into a five-chapter exposition after finishing Kings, you're crazy. Uh, I, am, I am weary from preaching several chapters at a time, and you're weary from listening, I'm sure. Um, but particularly this section. This is called by some the Holy of Holies of Scripture. I mean, we are getting into the most intimate thoughts and prayer of our Lord on the night before he de- his death. And so there are a few themes, though, that I want to draw out from this section for us this morning and relate as they relate to this series. And the first one is this. It's, it's the mission of God, the missio Dei. Now, if you want to sound smart, you use Latin, right? Did it work? You, no, I know it's not working. Um, I looked up Google Translate, you know, they use those kind of things. But I'm going to use these Latin phrases. But they are phrases that you find as you read in uh, theological terms that you find and you come across. But missio Dei, the mission of God. When we think about mission or missions, we tend to think about us and what we do, or about them and what they do. But we're focused on us. But Jesus makes it clear in his, in his teaching and in his praying here that mission isn't about us and what we do. It's about God and what he is doing. That's what it centers on. Mission begins with God. God is a missionary being, we could say. It begins in his heart. His mission is as old as Adam, or really it predates Adam because he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so the Bible then tells the story of this God who's, who's on mission. This is what we find. The Bible begins by telling us that God created the world and he called it good, very good And he made man who's this apex of his creation, the very image bearers of God himself. We were made to reflect him and his glory. And yet Adam and Eve rejected God and they chose their own self-interest over having a relationship with their loving maker. And so Genesis 3 tells the story how they, they took the bait of, of the serpent's temptation and they, and they rebelled against God and they tried to become, as it were, gods themselves. And with that, things went bad fast. The whole fabric of creation was, was ripped apart by that sinful act and sin spread like poison throughout all humanity. And so the next seven chapters of Genesis, they show just one disaster after another. It's just showing the awful effects of sin. And the, and the message is crystal clear. Sin wreaks havoc 
But God broke into this bloody, broken mess of creation. And he called a man named Abram to become part of his redeeming mission. You find the account in Genesis 12, 1-3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so throughout the Old Testament, I'm just having to skip around and just move quick. But throughout the Old Testament, God carries out this mission. He creates a new people, Israel. He creates or he delivers them from bondage in Egypt. He he makes a covenant with them at Sinai and gives them his law. He he gives them a land. He gives them a temple for worship and and something that would service their relationship with him. And he gives them prophets and priests and kings, as we've seen throughout our study of the books of kings. So then we get to the New Testament and we find that God is faithful to, to keep his promise. He's going to his promise to descend a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David. And so we get Matthew's genealogy that explains the, that Jesus Christ, God in flesh, is the fulfillment of his promise. He's the one true prophet, priest, king. And so God sent His Son on this rescue mission to, to, to reconcile the world to Himself through the cross and resurrection of Christ. He's the ultimate missionary, the ultimate sent one. And God will accomplish His mission fully and finally. And you fast forward to Revelation 21 and have the new heavens and the new earth and all that was lost in the garden is restored. Now that's just a flyover, but God is... God is, has a mission. He's, he's moving everything toward one end. It's the restoration of all things. And so, John 13 to 17, Jesus talks much about this missio day, this mission of God, that God is ascending God. And we can't read through all five chapters here, but, but, the, but we see over and over where the Father sends the Son nine times that I noted. Throughout these chapters, the Father and Son send the Spirit multiple times again. And then the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they send the church. So this is God's initiative, God's mission, God sending, God accomplishing, God moving forward. It's His mission. And we need to get that. And so and you get down to chapter 17, verse 18, as Jesus is praying he, he, he prays to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And this is what I want you to see. For us to understand our mission, to us to understand the sent part of our identity, we need to understand that it's His mission. It's not a minor point. It begins and ends with God, not us. We talk about the church having a mission, and, and that is a true statement and, and in a sense. But it may be more accurate to say that the mission has a church. God's purpose predates the church. And he's, we're a part of it. But we're a part of it only to the extent that we're aligning ourselves to what God is already doing. And so there's not, it's not like there's God's job and our job or God's work and our work. We, we like to think in those categories. But that's not it. The, the, the picture of of the New Testament, it talks about the church. It's it's by God's grace we've been included into His work of reconciliation. 
So you get into 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So it's not we're doing something for God, apart from God. No, we are fellow workers with him, scriptures say. We're joining God in what he's already doing. So the success of the mission then isn't ultimately dependent upon us. Sorry to burst your bubble there. He doesn't need us, but he does invite us. He does use us. And it's, a, it's this privilege that we have by his grace, Paul says, of joining in him and becoming his fellow workers in what he's doing. Our motivation to move forward And leveraging our lives for the mission of God is not because we bring so much to the table and God can't do it without us. That's not it at all. If that's the motivation, you're not even going to make it out of the starting gate. But if you are compelled to join the mission that God is working that will not fail because it's not dependent upon us, it's fully dependent upon Him, then that's something I want to be a part of. That's, That's worthy motivation. So that leads to the next point. The next thing we see in Jesus' teaching and prayer in John 13 to 17 and that we need to grasp to compel us forward is the glory of day. The glory of God. There's, there's, this is another dominant theme in these chapters that Jesus is just consumed with glory. As he anticipates his death and resurrection in particular, he's seeing all of his passion through the lens of glory. This is why he's come. This is why he's died. Why he's raising again. So you see it in chapter 13 verse 31. That God is glorified in the son of man. Verse 32. God will glorify Jesus and himself. Verse 13 of chapter 14. The father will be glorified in Jesus. Verse 8 of chapter 15. The father is glorified when we bear fruit. Chapter 16, verse 14, the Spirit will glorify Jesus. And then all through chapter 17, starting in verse 1, he prays to the Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And just goes on and on and on. Verse 10, Jesus is glorified in his disciples. Verse 22, he's given his disciples the glory the Father gave him. Just over and over and over And this is what this is cueing us for. It's that the purpose of God's mission is God's glory. It's God's glory. God is passionate about his glory in all things. And he's the only one that's worthy of the worship of all people. So it's a right passion. The Westminster Shorter Shorter, uh, Catechism begins with this question, and I think it's on the screen. What is the chief end of man? And I want you to give me the answer together. Let's say it together. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's why God has made us. And so, we're created to that purpose, and yet because of man sinned and fell, because when Adam sinned, every human being born since him is born at enmity with God. And you know what Paul says in Romans 1, the very root, core issue of a problem of fallen man 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks. But instead they worshiped the idols. And that's, that's the most basic issue. So God is on a mission then to, to turn worshipers of idols back to worshipers of himself. And he's the only one who's worthy of that worship. See this, again, this just resonates throughout Scripture, but throughout the New Testament, the reason God chose us and saved us is for the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1. 1 Peter 2, turn there with me. I need you to read this with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. Peter says, But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're, we're chosen for His glory, to show forth God's praises, His excellencies. And this isn't just like the praise of congratulation, like, great job, God. You really did a fine job at picking such a wonderful team. You, I mean, we're, we're great, and you, you picked us well. Great. No, this is the praise of just overwhelm thanksgiving that we have been called out of darkness. We were no people. And God made us a people. We did not have mercy. And God showed mercy. It was His sovereign grace. And so it's it's this honor and glory that's born out of, and then it expresses itself in thanksgiving. This is the very exact opposite of fallen man's condition. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks. And we say now, we glorify And live for the praises of Him. And we give thanks. And this is the vision for the future. This is where God's mission is headed. We read it earlier in Revelation chapter 5. Every tribe, tongue, nation, people group, ethnic group. Praising God around His throne. That that, that we could say it this way. That mission has a shelf life. It will end. Because it terminates in the final and full worship of God for eternity. Mission has a shelf life. Worship does not. John Piper is notably noted for saying missions, or we could say mission, exists because worship does not. So God's glory is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. It needs to be a big deal to us. Are you living for the purpose for which God made you? To glorify Him and enjoy Him. John Piper says and rephrases that first question of the catechism he says man the answer man's chief end is to glorify god by enjoying him forever and what he's he's his famous phrase is god is most glorified us when we're most satisfied in him and what he's saying what he's trying to show is it's not enough to just study about god's glory it's not enough to just know about it theologically we need to enjoy it we need to revel in his glory we need to we need to be changed by it Satisfied in Him. The more we come to know and enjoy the glory of God, the more fully engaged we'll be in His cause. You won't be able to keep us back if we really lay hold of this. Because as a rule, we we share what fills our hearts. Or we proclaim those things that we prize. So if you're passionate about some diet program that has just changed your life and is... 
is just revolutionize things for you. You're going to talk about it, right? And you want other people to be a part of it because it's made such a difference in your life or some fitness program or some band that you listen to. Man, this is amazing. And so you put stickers on your car and you post you know, songs on Facebook and you're, you're broadcasting, you're promoting something that is very dear to you, that has made a difference in your life. You have to be restrained not to talk about it. And so you have bruises on your shins from your wife kicking you under the dinner table because you won't stop talking about this thing that you're obsessed about. This is the question. Is your heart so full of God and His glory and His worth and His praise and you've been so changed by His grace that you just can't help but just throw yourself into what He's doing? If you're not, if we're not leveraging our lives for the mission of God, it's not, it's not just a problem of inactivity. It's not like we just need to do something else. It's not an evangelism problem. It's not a, it's not a time issue. It's not a knowledge problem. It's most basically a worship problem. I'm talking to myself here. That worship is the fuel of mission. And, and to be a church on mission, folks, we're going to have to be a vibrant, worshiping fellowship that's just overwhelmed by God and His greatness. Hearts enamored with the greatness and glory of God. And when that's true of us, you won't be able to stop us. So the mission of God, the glory of God, and third, the Spirit of God, the Spiritist Day. This is, again, the promise of the Holy Spirit is, is the big revelation in John 13 to 17. I don't say that because it's talked about the most, but I say this is the big, this is the new thing that Christ really wants the disciples to get a hold of. John 14, verses 16 and 17, the Father will give us another helper, the Spirit of truth, and He will dwell with us and be in us. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and bring about what Jesus said to remembrance. Verse 26 of Chapter 15, the helper, the spirit of truth will come and bear witness of Jesus. Then in chapter 16, verse 7, it's to our advantage that Jesus leaves us, sends the spirit, that the helper can't come if Jesus doesn't go. Again, sometimes we get this wrong idea that, that God's mission would be helped if Jesus was still here physically present like he was in the incarnation. Jesus says, no. It's to your advantage. It's, we have greater advantages than the apostles even had at first. We have the Spirit and He's in us. The Spirit is very much alive and active today. He is. He's fully God. He's fully engaged in God's mission. The Spirit has this ongoing ministry of convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. Chapter 16, verse 8. He's a strong ally for us. He makes, he makes it so people see their need for Christ. He guides us in all truth, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. So it's, it's as if the Father speaks. The Son is the content of that speech. He's the Word. And the Spirit then persuades. He, he opens eyes. He, he brings it to bear on lives. He's a strong ally. The Spirit glorifies Jesus, verse 14. He doesn't preach himself, he preaches Christ, which is, which is the only way to God. 
And so I just say, and, and, and I greatly convicted by this, but I think as a general rule, I don't know if we think or live like the Holy Spirit is as powerful and active as he actually is today. I don't, I don't know that we grasp it. But his, his, the power of, and his ministry among us is, is inseparable to the commission that we've been given. Matthew 28, 19, 18 to 20, and we're going to be here uh, two weeks. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Behold, I am with you always. How is he with us always? He says in John 13, 17, it's by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8, 9, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit at work today. He's not just kind of the third wheel of the Trinity. He's not eh, just enough to kind of get us by until Jesus comes back. And really, I mean, we, are, we long for the day when Christ returns. And he's the, he's the one that the Spirit is pointing to. He's, he's God. He's person. He's spirit. He's, he's living. He's moving. He's working. He's saving. So do you really believe that God is able by the Spirit to save sinners today? Do you think He can do it? I, maybe, maybe you just haven't seen it in a while. And, and maybe you've just kind of, you wouldn't say this, but you, functionally we live like that. Like, I don't, I can't ever see that person coming to Christ. Well, we could say that about everybody. That was us. I don't care what kind of home you grew up in. It's not like it's easier for some than others. The Spirit has to work, and He's able, church. The Lord is able. It's not mission impossible because we have the Holy Spirit. It's, it's mission unstoppable. He's, he's accomplishing the work that He sent, was sent to do. And we need to understand that and be full of this the Spirit. And so... The big idea, again, this is what I want us to just launch us forward in, is that we need to be so enamored with God's glory, so full of God's spirit, that we're compelled then to leverage our lives for God's mission. i just give you one quick example, and then we're going to sing. And it's in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. You have Stephen. He's the guy that's chosen to be one of the first kind of prototype deacons there in chapter 6. Verse 1 to 6 and verse 5, the, the writer says, He's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he's full of grace and power and wisdom. Verse 10, and boldness. I mean, this is the kind of guy we want in our church. This is the kind of guy I want to be. This is the kind of pastor I want to be. This is the kind of father I want to be to my kids. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit and grace, wisdom. He's loving people. This is the picture we get of him. He's doing good. He's serving the church. He's preaching Christ and he faces great opposition in doing those things. But he's, he's courageously bearing witness to Christ when he's brought on trial in chapter 7 and verses 1 and following there. And what's burning, what's burning in his soul as he, as he preaches there before the religious leaders, he's, he's recounting Israel's history. And what's burning in his soul is this, this consuming zeal for God's glory. That's what he, that's what he's pointing out in this. And so his conclusion is down in verse 48 that the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. 
What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And he points out their idolatry. And he's pointing out that they, they care about the outer facade of the temple, but not the worship of God. And so the, the motivational root of his joy, the motivational root of his courage and his zeal and his capacity to endure suffering for the sake of Christ, it's his it's a zeal for God's glory and this fullness of God's spirit in him. That's what it is. So verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's It's a life Leverage and a death, leverage for God's mission, full of the Holy Spirit, enamored with the glory of God, aligned with God, what God is doing in this world. I was just thinking, and I know this is this is not the end all question because it would be much more important what Jesus would say. But what would Stephen say of my life if he, if he was with me? If he'd spent a week in my house? You see, man, there is a guy who's full of faith, full of the Spirit, just passionate for the glory of God. What would he say of our church, how we live, how we conduct meetings, how we do VBS, how we sing, how we hear the word, how we gather, how quick we run off after the gathering? (laughs) What would he say of us? Would, would, would he say, man, that's just full of zeal for God's mission because they're passionate for God's glory, full of the Spirit. Well, I want to end, and we're going to end each week with this. We're just a couple little assignments. Uh, not, again, not the goal is not to burden you, not to layer some new, big, complicated thing on you, but in again, to try to help you begin to connect gospel intentionality with daily rhythms, weekly rhythms of your life. This is the first one. This is just more general. But I think all of us probably have an opportunity to confess our lack of being just in awe of God and full of God's Spirit. I think we all have room to grow there. Just this week, recommit yourself to plunge into the depths of the Lord's worship privately, corporately, and that brings a second. That's just kind of a preliminary. This, this is really what I want you to do. I want you to, this will be something that will kind of carry us through the summer months and hopefully start some kind of new habits. It's begin to have dialogue with someone that's in this church that's already kind of in your, you're already talking to them. You're already, you're already going to the park with them. You're already, they're already coming over to your house to swim. They're already, you're already, you work next to them. You go to lunch with them. Um, you, so I'm not asking you to like, you know, look through the directory, find someone that you, you know, someone brand new and call it up and set up a weekly meeting for two hours every week. That's not what I'm talking about. You're, 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 they're already in your life. 
But just begin to do it differently. I want, I want, particularly, I want you to begin to just a conversation about what we talked about today. That's how does it strike you? What questions do you have? As you look at your life, are you leveraging your life for God's mission? What, what, where, where do you see evidences of God's grace that you are? Maybe other areas where you say, man, I'm really deficient here. Um, just begin to begin to build that conversation, that accountability. And, and with that, um, do this together. Read through Isaiah 40, maybe. You said, that's a great, I was just reading through that, praying through that this morning. Just want to stand in awe of God. Okay, because it's got to start. We've got to have a big view of God. But read Isaiah 40. Read Job 38 and 39 together, maybe. Or just read it individually and then talk on the phone. And what did you see? What did you, what, what just, what did, what did God teach you through that? What is he showing you about himself? And, and just get lost in his glory together. And so, and maybe one other thing. In connecting with your, in that connected to the getting together with that person. Just monitor, monitor, um, yourself this week and look for what's really important to you what do you kind of what's the rut that your conversation tends to go in what's the kind of stuff that you're really prizing and therefore proclaiming and promoting about yourself just begin to kind of do a little self-examination and share that with the person that you're that you're talking to um so that's it you with me you ready all right we're just beginning and uh, we've got a several-week journey ahead of us here. Next week, we're going to look at the motivation of love that's needed. So begin with the worship of God, loving others, and then we'll get to the Great Commission, the mission itself, and then work out a lot of the practical matters through the summer. Uh, just final word, and then we're going to sing. Dads, this is what, again, this is what our kids need. They need dads that aren't perfect. They don't care about how well the manicure of the lawn is. They care, but they do notice if you love God. And you have a large, large capacity of, for worship of Him. And so let's, let's model that even now as we sing. Let me pray and the team's going to come back up and we'll, we'll go out singing to our glorious God. Father, I pray that you would help us. I, ah, we have big plans for the day and lots of things probably going on this afternoon and gatherings and meals that are in the oven and we're worried about burning and and uh probably all kinds of distractions this morning god but i pray that you would you would send us out of here um just on a trajectory of of uh increasing uh, awareness of delight in awe of you and your greatness and your glory and and a greater view of your spirit and his work today and what he's doing. Um, so, Lord, help us, even as we sing now, just may these truths go deeper in our souls. Maybe a phrase, maybe just a, a word, something that uh, we sing here would, would help apply these things in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.